Pastor John and Val Micklefield are with us this morning. Some of you may know them, some of you may not, but they're a very familiar face here to the Paul Christian Fellowship, very familiar face to us, and they just spent three years in B.C., just about, uh, working with a the church there. They went there just after they left here, so Avid had much time off. He was going to retire, apparently. But uh, not sh- I think he lost the definition somewhere. So we're, we're glad to have him with us this weekend. Glad to have him come and bring the word this morning. But before he does, of course, i got to share the joke from the joke bank. And so I went into the joke bank again this week, and I found another one that says, The plumber said, Why haven't you paid the bill for the work I did last Friday? And Patty replied, Well, it was not what you quoted. And the plumber said, I didn't give you a quote. And Patty replied, yes, you did. When I asked what day you could come, you said you were free on Friday. (laughs) So without further ado, Pastor John. Well, it's really wonderful to be back here and uh, to see you all, to see what God's been doing. Uh, You know, it's absolutely true, even when we can't see it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. And uh, there's wonderful things that God's been doing here. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Joshua and chapter 1. Thanks, Jason. We're going to be reading from chapter 1 and chapter 3 in a minute, uh, and it's also going to come up on the screen behind me because we'll be jumping about a little bit. Since the Roe versus Wade ruling in 1973 paved the way for on-demand abortions, activists have chanted the mantra, my body, my choice. Over the last two years of the pandemic, churches, families, schools, and communities have reacted against choices being made on their behalf about social distancing and mask wearing and eating out and gathering for sports and worship events, despite COVID-19 being an unprecedented medical emergency. And for the last three weeks or so, we've all been listening to the truckers and the choices they have made to barricade streets in Ottawa because of their choice to either take or not take the vaccine. Even the world of sports being affected. I'm sure all of us realize how Novak Djokovic was expelled from Australia because of his choices over the vaccine. You know, the ability to make choices is God's gift to us. And making choices is actually a powerful action that can carry long-standing consequences. If you're a Bible student, you'll know exactly what I mean. It was through a choice that Adam fell and sin entered the world. It was through a choice that Samson lost his strength and his eyesight. It was through a choice that King Saul forfeited his crown. 
It was because of a choice that Jesus became a man, died on the cross, and you and I can be forgiven and saved. And even behind all that, the very reason we could make that choice was because we had been chosen from before the foundation of the world. Every one of us is here because of God the Father's choice. Today's message follows your powerful series, The Impact of a Choice. And so we are going to be reading from Joshua chapter 1 and chapter 3. And the title of my message is Choosing to Move Forward. So let's read together, shall we? Verse 1 of chapter 1 of Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. Verse 5. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Over to chapter 3, verse 3. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you will set out from your place and follow it. Verse 4. You have not passed this way before. Verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders amongst you. Verse 8. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still. Verse 15. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap. The priests, this is verse 17, bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord, stood firmly on the dry ground, and all Israel was passing over. This passage shows how Israel had to make a decision, a choice, if you like, to embrace where God wanted to take them from the encampment where they were, a place called Shatim, which means acacia trees. It was a, a place of shade and a place of fragrance and rest and move forward to where God wanted them to be. And in the verses we've read, there are four dynamics that made up the context for them to make that choice. And as we look at each of these in turn, I think what we will discover is these four dynamics can be present in our lives and will help us make good and godly choices, especially when it comes to moving forward into the place that God has for us. So let's begin with the first one. It's in Joshua 1 and verse 2, and it says this, 
Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them. The first dynamic that helps us make good choices is vision. Moving forward requires vision. I think it's amazing that the choices we make is actually based on what we can see. Florence Chadwick was an American swimmer from San Diego who in the 1940s and 50s set world swimming records for crossing the English Channel, swimming across the Straits of Gibraltar, the Bosphorus and the Dardanelles. In 1952, she attempted to become the first person to swim the 26 miles between Catalina Island and the California coastline. Small boats of armed men flanked her as she made her way across that strait. They had rifles in their hands because there were sharks that were swimming there and they were looking for easy pickings. Fifteen hours into the marathon, a thick fog set in, and Florence, no longer able to see the shoreline, began to doubt her ability to be successful. And so she gave up. They hauled her into the boat, they wrapped her in towels, they gave her warm drink to restore her body temperature. And as she was sipping her tea, or probably coffee, the fog lifted. And she realized that she was within just one kilometer of her goal. But she'd given up. She made a bad choice because she couldn't see the goal that she was supposed to meet. A few years back, I was with a group of businessmen in uh, Saskatchewan. And I got chatting to a guy who was a, a snow plow driver with the city of Regina and he told me how after a blizzard and we all know about those uh, he could be in the cab for between 12 and 14 hours at a time but I'll never forget what he said next he said the thing that helps me most is not a good heater to keep me warm it's not a lot of coffee to keep me awake. It's not a cell phone to keep me in touch. It's a clear windshield so I can see where I'm going. He knew that to be able to go where he was supposed to do, he needed to be able to see clearly. And so do we as God's people. Not see with our natural eyes, but see with our spiritual eyes. That's why Paul, that's why the Proverbs says, Solomon writing in Proverbs says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Vision here means an ongoing, ever unfolding, forward looking sense of God's calling that inspires us to change and advance. But, you know, not everybody can see that. And that's why Paul prays for the Ephesians 
that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. That's why Jesus urges the backslidden church of Laodicea to buy from him strangely eye salve so that their eyes could be opened and their spiritual blindness healed so that they could move forward into the place where God wanted to take them. And God wants us to do the same. He wants us to see that where we are now wasn't where we were a year ago, but it won't be where we will be a year from now. God has a calling on his church. And he has a calling on this church. That through his people, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. And God wants us to see that. He wants us to grasp that. He wants that to be the vision that's ever before us so we can make the right choices along the way to get there. God wants you and me to bring hundreds of people to Jesus Christ. He wants to see healing in this place. He wants to see prayers answered here. He wants to see people coming here from the north and the south and the east and the west so that every chair is filled and every extension is filled so that God's kingdom can come right here in the path through you and through me. I believe God desires for you as his people to touch the native communities of this northern region. A, a, a number of years ago, Ron, had a, uh, Ron McLean had a vision of, a, of an archer firing an arrow. And this arrow was a flaming arrow. And it, and it arced up and it landed right here in the path. And as it landed, sparks flew off it into the regions around. I saw a vision of, of this church like a, like a wheel, the, 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 the hub of a wheel, with spokes moving out into the various regions, into the various communities of this northern people, with pastors coming and being encouraged and fed and strengthened and then going back and taking the fire of God and, and the life of God back into their communities. But brothers and sisters, unless we can see that in our spirit, we'll never be able to respond to God as he challenges us to change and get with his program. In verse 2 of this uh, chapter that we're reading, God inspires vision in Israel by saying to them, cross the river and go into the land. Now they knew about that land. Forty years before, their forefathers had seen it. They'd come back and inspired their children with stories of how it flowed with milk and honey. How it produced grapes that were so large, two men were needed to carry a single bunch of them. That there were pastures there and orchards and cities and rivers and lakes. And their forefathers saw it, but refused to embrace it. Because of hardness of heart, because of disobedience 
and because of unbelief. So now, God had to re-envision a new generation with a fresh sense of his purpose so that they would make the right choices and move forward. To help them, he tells them two things. And I think these same two things are relevant for you and me. First of all, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. And then he says, arise. First, he says, Moses is dead. In other words, don't look back. Don't live in the past. Don't be shaped by what once was. For some of us, the past was painful. But don't let your present decisions be forged by the pain of the past. For some of us, the past was a good thing. Don't let the pleasantness of the past try and keep you there, but move on in God. Moses is dead. Let the past be in the past. It's a new day. And you can make the right choice to move with God into his purposes. And then he says, arise. Now that's an action word. You could say, shake yourselves, shed your lethargy, take your place, look forward and get a move on in God. You know, as uh, Jason said, we'd been in BC for uh, the last three years. We went there to help a church that was in a bit of a crisis. Well, a lot of a crisis, actually. In 2019, they lost all their elders, their pastor, and all their leaders, and most of their people. From 300 in the heyday, it went down to around 30. But God wasn't finished with his people. Never despise a remnant. And God started to work with this people. And he showed them a vision. And the vision was that he wanted to draw people out of the north and the south and the east and the west and bring them into that very place. And they started to believe it. And they started to pray it. And they started to ask God to do it. So that vision actually motivated them to arising, to action. I remember on Carols by Candlelight last December the 30, 24th, I was sitting just in the second row helping the readers get up in the right places. And uh, I was next to a family and I said, oh, it's nice to meet you. Where are you from? They said, we're from Iran. I might jaw dropped on the floor, Iran. We'd been praying that God would bring people out of the Middle East. Afterwards, I shook hands with the guy. I said, I don't think I've seen you before. He said, no, I'm new in the country. I've only been here a few days. I'm from Zambia. And we'd been praying that God would bring people from Africa. And as these people got that vision and prayed into it and saw that God was beginning to move, they started to get spiritually reinvigorated and renewed. 
One of the things we were praying about was that God would add young people to us. We'd lost a lot of young people and particularly young adults, young families, but young adults and teenagers. There's a university about five minutes away by car ride. And one day, one of the le leaders of this university came and said, do you think you could partner with us to reach out to the young people that are coming to Canada and to our university? Because we desperately want them to meet Jesus Christ. So that the, the pastor who'd replaced me said, how many are there? He said, oh, we've got about a thousand. And suddenly a whole new mission field opened up. I remember a few weeks in, I said to the church, God's going to fill every one of these uh, chairs. And there were lots of empty ones at that stage. It's going to bring people here. They're going to see young people once again. And, you know, I mean, in all, in all reality, people want to say, yeah, I believe that, but, but some, somehow it needs the Holy Spirit to really give them faith to believe. Our last Sunday, there were three rows filled with young people in direct answer to the prayers that this precious people have made. When we pray, something always happens. And when prayer is ignited by vision and vision is realized through prayer, that's an exciting place to be. And I believe with all my heart that what God has begun to do here, the good thing he's begun to do here, is only just the beginning. If you can see what God wants to do much more and let that move you to pray in the prayer meeting and in the prayer summit. And as you see prayer, realize that vision then you'll be moving into the purposes of God. You'll be arising and going into the land. So the first dynamic and the longest is vision. But there's another one. Listen to what verse 5 says. He says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And again in chapter 3, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord... You will set out from your place and follow it. Vision first and then presence. Moving forward requires God's presence. I think God gave them this promise because he knew that human strategy wouldn't get them into the land. He knew that natural ability wouldn't cut it. He knew that just... Works of enthusiasm wouldn't be good enough. They needed the presence of God. And when we know he's with us, it's easier to make good choices and to move forward. You know, the reason Val and I are in Canada is because of the presence of God. We were living a very comfortable life in Oxfordshire. Very beautiful part of the, of the country. We were members of a nice church. But when I visited Canada in 87 and, and, and 
We went, I went to Winnipeg. I was here alone. Val was home with the children. I felt the presence of the Lord like I'd never felt it before. And I knew that I wanted my family to be where that presence was. And that's what motivated us to emigrate here. When we went to BC, you know, we, to be perfectly honest, we hadn't got a clue what to do. We said, yeah, we'll come. And then we thought, but what do we do when we get there? We'd known a bit about the pain this church was in and, and, and all that had happened like a bomb going off. And as we took our time going across the prairies, we prayed and said, Lord, what, what, what do we do? There wasn't a, a book we could read and say, step one, two, three to bringing a church into hope and healing. But God gave us a strategy. Here is what he told us to do. Exalt Christ in the preaching. Build an altar of prayer. And invite the Holy Spirit to come. Presence. The end of our first meeting there. The coffee was brewing in the back. There were plates of cookies waiting to be eaten. I finished the sermon, sang the last chorus. We pronounced the benediction. And then nobody moved. Nobody could move because the presence of the Lord came into that room. And you know when God's presence is there. Not, not his promised presence, his manifest presence. Hands went into the air. People just stood. Three, four, five, six, seven minutes. At that point in time, I knew everything was going to be okay. I didn't know how it was going to be okay. I knew it was going to be okay because God was with us. The Holy Spirit was coming and ministering to the bride of Christ. And you know what? When, when God is in the midst, when the Spirit of the Lord is with you, Wonderful things happen. There was a, a little grandchild that belonged to a couple in the church. Her name was Bailey. And as Bailey was growing and beginning to move about, she kept tripping over her feet. Anyway, long story short, they took her to an orthopedic pediatrician. And, and this doctor said, this, this little girl's feet are... So pigeoned uh, that, that needs some drastic work. And in fact, her legs are so bowed, they don't look like the number 11, but they look like the, the, the letter O. You know, they look like a zero. And, and the doctor said, I'm going to have to see this kid for the next six or seven years. And there's going to be regular appointments and... We may have to put calipers on. We may have to put casts on. We may have to do surgery. But she's got a, a long and painful, I'm afraid, journey ahead of her. So her grandparents started to pray that God would touch Bailey. 
and brought her into God's presence. Well, six weeks later, they had a follow-up appointment with the same doctor in the same hospital. And when the doctor saw Bailey a second time, her jaw hit the floor. She said, is this the same girl I, I saw just weeks ago? The, the one where her legs were like a zero, now they're like a, a number 11. They're completely straight. And her feet go out perfectly she can walk I don't need to see her again what the what the doctors would have taken seven years to do God did in six weeks painlessly even when we can't see it he's working even when we don't feel it he's working he never stops he's never stops working presence when we are in God's presence, wonderful things happen. But there's a third dynamic. Because the scripture goes on, when you come to the brink of the waters, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Now, that sounds great, except this river was a raging torrent at this time. And what God was commanding the priests to do was to jump into a swirling river wearing their full robes and carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Do that presumptuously and what will happen is you'll sink to the bottom and the current will take you away. You'll probably be drowned. So what God was asking these priests to do was to obey him supernaturally. And that brings the third dynamic into the focus. Vision, presence, and now faith. John Wimber used to say, faith is spelt R-I-S-K. Because every time we move in faith, we take a risk. For these priests to obey God risk their lives. They risk sinking to the bottom. They risk being caught up in the weed. They risk being completely lost. And yet, because God was there and because his presence was with them, when they stepped out in faith, God Move to meet them. Faith always pleases God. And when we step out in faith, he steps up to meet us in that place. So in this instance, what happened is, is the priest stepped out, the waters dried up, the slimy riverbed was blacktopped, and God opened a way where there was no way. Phil was our worship leader, and he, he was quite cagey about stepping out in faith. So in one of the prayer meetings, it was a big challenge for him when I asked, does anybody need prayer? And uh, in fact, it was Bailey's grandmother says, I need prayer. She said, I've been a nurse all my life, and, and my shoulders are shot. 
So much so, I can't lift my hands more than to my waist. And she said, all, all my kitchens had to be reorganized. There's no uh, plates or cups or anything in, in the cupboards. They're all on the worktop because that's only as far as I can reach. And I'd like God to touch me. So Phil went over and very tentatively stepped out in obedience. He took a risk. He laid his hands on her. He said, Lord Jesus, would you just heal Veronica right now? Would you touch these arms and strengthen them? So this was Wednesday. Next Sunday, she comes to church more excited than I've seen her. And she said, look what God's done. And she lifted her arm in the air. I said, that's wonderful. She said, I can reach by dishes now. We can begin to put them back. She said, I'm so thrilled. I said, what about the other arm? Oh, that's still paralyzed. But, but, the, but I've got one good arm. I said, well, let's pray with you about the other. She said, oh, no, it's all right. I, I can make do with one. I said, Veronica. I said, when Jesus healed the blind man, he didn't heal one eye and say, make do with that. Put a patch on the other. You'll be all right. You can see partially. He healed both eyes. Let's ask the Lord to heal both. Would you like both to be healed? Oh, I sure would like both to be healed. So Phil laid hands on her again. And wouldn't you know it, both hands went in the air as God completely restored. You know, when we step out in faith, God meets us. Now, for you, that might be stepping out to talk to your neighbor. It might be stepping out to pray with a work colleague. It might be stepping out to bring a word on a Sunday. But when you step out, when you choose to step out, God will step forward and meet you. Okay, fourthly and finally, Vision, presence, faith, and now finally, unity. He says to Israel, all Israel will pass over on dry ground until all the nation has finished passing over. You know what, folks? We can make decisions individually, and that's good. But when we all make a decision together, that's better. Because we are better together. We are stronger together. And when we move in unity together and believe God and step out in faith and invite his presence and are motivated by a vision, wonderful things can happen. That's why the Bible is so imperative about maintaining unity. That's why the devil's so active in trying to destroy unity. And believe me, in these days, we are living in days of great division. When, when this part of the body of Christ thinks this and that part thinks that and, and we are pro-vaccine and we're against vaccine, we believe the part, we don't believe the part. And, and, and you know what? The pandemic's going to come and go, but our relationships 
if we bust them up, are much more difficult to mend. So let, let's maintain unity. In fact, the Bible tells us we already have unity because our unity is in Christ. It's a unity of the Spirit. What we have to do is maintain it. And by that, I mean give one another permission to be different. Don't judge one another. Don't criticize one another. Don't devour one another. Bear with one another. Love one another. Accept one another. You know, if two people disagree, it's very bad to try and argue to a place of unity. The best way to do it is for both to get closer to Jesus. It's, it's like if there was an A-frame ladder here and somebody's climbing it this side and somebody's climbing it that side, the higher up they get, the closer they become. And the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we'll get to one another. I'm going to finish this morning by reading you a, a declaration that my friend Carson Riston, his wife Doris, used to read. Carson's with the Lord now. But every morning when they had their devotions, they'd finish by saying this declaration together. It takes a couple of minutes to say, but I'm going to speak it and invite you to say the Amen in your heart. Today, I am stepping across the line. I'm tired of waffling and I'm finished with wavering. I've made my choice. The verdict is in and my decision is irrevocable. I'm going God's way. There's no turning back. I will live the rest of my life serving God's purposes with God's people on God's planet for God's glory. I refuse to waste any more time or energy on shallow living, petty thinking, rival taking, thoughtless doing, useless regretting, hurtful resenting, or faithless worrying. Instead, I will magnify God, grow in maturity, serve in ministry, and fulfill my mission in the membership of his family. Because this life is in preparation for the next, I will value worship over wealth, we over me, character over comfort, service over status, and people over possessions, position, and pleasures. I know what matters most, and I'll give it all I've got. I'll do the best I can with what I have for Jesus Christ every single day. I won't be captivated by culture, manipulated by critics, motivated by praise, frustrated by problems, debilitated by temptation, or intimidated by the devil. I'll keep running my race with my eyes on the goal, not the sidelines or those running by me. When times get tough and I get tired, I won't back up, back off, back down, back out, or backslide. I'll just keep moving forward by God's grace. I'm spirit-filled, purpose-driven, mission-focused, 
so I can't be bought, I will not be compromised, and I will not quit until I finish the race. To my Savior, the Lord Jesus, I say, however, whenever, wherever, and whatever you ask me to do, my answer in advance is yes. Wherever you lead and whatever the cost, I'm ready. Anytime, anywhere, any way, whatever it takes, Lord, whatever it takes. If that resonated with you, I want you to stand. If that prayer, if that declaration, you want to make it yours, to make good choices, to be people of vision and people of presence and people of faith and people of unity, just stand with me. If it didn't, that's, that's fine. There's no judgment because I want to pray for you. Now, Lord Jesus, you see your people standing in your presence. Lord, we want to make good choices. We want to make the choice to go on with you, to move with you, to serve you, to serve this community, to see the kingdom of God come, to see Christ exalted, to see sinners saved, to see lives healed. And to that end, we say to you, anytime, anywhere, anyway, whatever it takes, Lord, use us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor John, for that message today. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the message today. We trust you will have a fantastic week. And remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.